Blog Talk Radio. Hey there, from the offices of Lies in the Balance here in Portland, Maine, Dr. Ross Green. Right here coming to you with another edition of Helping Behaviorally Challenging Students. We only do this program once a month now, um, and it's always the educators panel. But of course, with very busy educators, we never know who we're going to get. We already know that Tom won't be joining us today. Um, The rumor is that Nina will, and we already have Carol on the phone with us. How are you, Carol? I'm doing very well. It's snowing today. It's snowing in Vancouver? It's snowing in Vancouver today, yes. Very lightly, very tiny little snow. Still, I bet Vancouver's very pretty in the snow. It's beautiful as we get ready for Christmas. And having just been there and just been reminded of how spectacular those mountains are, um, I envy you a little bit. It was snowing here in Portland, Maine, but it is now raining um, but it could turn back again. We don't know. And you were work- doing a three-day advanced training with many wonderful educators from the Lower Mainland here. And I got to meet a bunch of them, and wonderful they were. Um, and there's some pretty exciting stuff going on in your neck of the woods with collaborative and proactive solutions. So that is very cool. And it's bleeding its way into Washington, and there's some exciting developments for people wanting to work together. We've been calling it CPS Without Borders is the name we came up with. Um, Very nice. (laughs) But some nice momentum for people to um, collaborate across the border, and that's pretty cool too. But lots of excitement about the model and lots of folks interested in learning more about it and getting good at it and um, perhaps even in your neck of the woods, getting entire communities to do it. So that's about as cool as it gets. That's our goal. Now, tell us how things are going in your building. We, you know, we only do this program now once a month, the uh, Helping Behaviorally Challenging Students. So we have both you all telling us how things are going in your building and discussing issues of topical interest, but also we need to respond to the email that I receive every month. Uh, on Great. this program. We've got a few of those, too, but maybe we should start with um, how things are going in your building. Well, as you know, I'm in a new school as of this September. Yep. So uh, I, it was interesting because I took lessons learned from um, my previous implementation in a school that was, you know, completely nowhere near um, in, looking at uh, behavior through a developmental lens rather than a, you know, behavior modification type of lens. So what I've been doing is um, bringing things in um, in context. So as uh, an issue with behavior comes up or when we're doing our school-based team and it's primarily a behavioral um, type of concern, um, bringing in the language of the the model, um, talking about lagging skills and unsolved problems, um, using the ALSIP to help guide our conversation during our school-based teams, meeting one-on-one with teachers to go through the ALSEP and, and dig into 
you know, picking apart the many stranded uh, unsolved problems that students often exhibit and uh, then helping to model some of those um, problem-solving conversations. Outstanding. So it's, it's going well. I found, yeah, I found the, um, the interest in, behave, in, in the model to be quite high. Um, there's some folks that, you know, even the very first time sitting down and, and having a conversation, you know, with, with the student, with me leading the conversation, but the teacher there to be part of it, um, there are some teachers that just seem to have that intuitive ability to, you know, do some of the key things like not be a genius to sit and listen, to ask some clarifying questions rather than jumping in with, you know, a lecture or, or, or a consequence or a solution. So I'm very encouraged with the, uh, the way things are going. That's outstanding. Any mis- uh, and by the way, we have been joined by Nina. How are you, Nina? I'm good. How are you? I am good. Um, we're hearing about how things are going in Carol's new building. We have some email to respond to as well, and if we have time... There's a few things we've posted in the good news, bad news section lately that we'd love to get your responses to. Carol, is there anything that you are, any mistakes you are trying not to repeat in your (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, what I'm trying not to repeat is throwing away um, systems or structures that that teachers are really still very attached to. Um, Mm -hmm. I think in my previous incarnation (laughs) (laughs) I uh, you know it was I I was so passionate about the model and 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 feeling like this it was what I really needed to be doing that I was not as respectful of some other people's um, level of readiness to look through a different window at kids and so I I'm definitely being more aware of that not just with with uh, CPS but also in a lot of other things being um, moving into a new school you know it's important to to see your staff almost like a teacher sees a, a, a class of students as everyone being at a different uh, need or level of readiness or learning style and, and respecting that and honoring it as you move forward. So in other words, not being so enthusiastic about the model that we <laughs> blow past the concern, legitimate concerns and readiness mm-hmm. of the different people who we are hoping will embrace it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Nine, I bet you could weigh on on that as well. Oh, definitely. I think that's, you know, it's been interesting because I've um, been reflecting a lot after the conference. Lots of, uh, I've been able to talk to other people that are very interested in the model and asking what we would do differently. And um, I, I reflect on that a lot that I, I think in my excitement and passion that sometimes you kind of, forget to really listen and, and um, be open to others' ideas and thoughts and not just to kind of trample on on ways of doing things and, um, you know, just that, uh, stepping back from that a little bit. So I, I totally hear you and think that's how I would do things a little differently as well. Mm-hmm. Well, th- I mean, that said, when you're just learning a new model, and I, I think that these things are easy to say in hindsight and that, People can certainly benefit from hearing about how you might do things a little bit differently, but I also know that when you're just trying something on and it's new, um, there's so many things to focus on that you can't possibly 
focus on everything going on around you so as to, you can always try, but so as to be sensitive to all the needs of all the people in the building. I mean, that, that's hard to do as a building yeah. administrator in the first place. Um, but especially yep. when you're trying to get good at something new. So, I mean, of course, once you try, but go ahead. Well, yeah, you definitely, you definitely can't be too, too sensitive. I mean, there's sometimes yes. where you have to just say, you know, we have to take this step, we have to move forward. You know, I appreciate that this is a bit uncomfortable for you, but I think you're ready to make this step and take this risk, and I'll be there with you, and let's do it together. Because um, if, you, if you're always waiting for everyone to be on board, then you're never going to go anywhere. <laughs> so it's funny. I call it the sweet spot. There's always a sweet spot right in the middle. Yes. The balance. The balance. <laughs> That's right. Sounds like my family trying to decide where to go out for dinner. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> I, I announced last night that it had been many, many, many years since everybody had agreed on the same place, and that um, at least on Saturday night, Daddy wanted Indian food, and by God, Indian food was what we were going to get. And yes, <laughs> if that sounds like Plan A, actually, it may not have been Plan A. It was me simply announcing my expectation, and. Um, <laughs> All of the members of my family somehow went along with that expectation, but there you um, go. <laughs> whew, do it, you know, doing Plan B on where we should eat um, always do, yeah. and and you even whether we should eat out. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, and there's only four of us, so I can only imagine. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Nina, you, you're further along because you are not in a new building. Any new developments to report in your building? No, I think it's been, um, as I said earlier, after the conference, uh, um, you've had lots of people you know, email me or meet with me just about their thoughts and trying to start the model in their own building. So it's really been exciting, an exciting time just to talk to people um, uh, you know, about the model and uh, how to help how to help them initiate in their school. I talked to a school from Ohio, and that was really, it was just really a neat time to be able to hear what other schools are doing in different places. And, you know, trying to, my advice has mostly been to really try Plan B with kind of those second-tier students so that I, again, looking back, think something that we jumped into is try, try it with our most challenging students. And um, you just don't see the results as, as quickly as you with those children that are have challenging behavior but might not be your most challenging. So I think it's been really fun to kind of reflect and talk to different people, you know, just about the model. Cool. Y'all want yeah. to take some email? Sure. This sure. one in the subject line says, EI classroom colon help exclamation point. I wish okay. we had been able to respond to it sooner, but here we go. Are you both ready? Yes. Sure. Now, it's, a, it's addressed to me, of course, but we're going to give you all the first crack at it. Hi, Dr. Green. I have listened to nearly all of your resources, read The Explosive Child, and I'm halfway through Lost at School. I was transferred into a K2EI self-contained classroom last year after teaching high school special ed for nine years. I could hardly comprehend the seclusions, restraints, and severity of behavior 
in my young students. I learned about CPS from a colleague in a different school, and immediately it resonated with me. My challenge, Mm -hmm. however, besides learning how to implement the model, is getting the buy-in from the rest of my team. Despite my efforts to teach the model and offer your resources, after years of working in this setting, they are mostly of the mindset that these students are in control of their behaviors and are using their behaviors to manipulate situations to their likings, advantages, far more often than as a display of lagging skills. In truth, it does seem as if sometimes they are correct, though I refuse to believe it. For example, they insist if we were to offer one of our little guys a treat or give him his way in the middle of one of his tantrums, he could and has immediately stopped crying and screaming and turned into the sweetest, most compliant student we could hope for. Because they have seen him and others do this so many times, they are convinced he is not throwing his fits out of a lack of skills to meet a demand that is outside of his capability. Rather, they are certain he is throwing his fit to get his way and in complete control. This is just one example of our differences of how we choose to see the students, and I guess what I'm looking for is assurance that it is lagging skills that are triggering the disruptive and often destructive and hurtful behavior from my students and not just spoiled oppositional kids who have learned how to get their way by throwing chairs, hitting, and screaming. I'm also looking for suggestions on how to help my students as well as how to bring my team around to seeing and believing that kids would do well if they could. Thank you so much for your time and your incredibly helpful website. This is a tough one for you both, and I'm happy to pitch in. Who wants to give this one a shot? <laughs> well, can I just tell you a thought that I had as you were reading the email? Of course. I've I've struggled with that, you know, the the question of are they doing it on purpose or they just can't help it? And the one thing that popped into my mind as you were reading that was, um, that, that the behaviorist thinking about, you know, if we give him a treat, he'll stop the tantrum is not telling you anything about what's starting the tantrum. So if we kind of were thinking about the behavior, right, where you, and I'm coming back to the language of the book, where if we're looking at the, the spectrum of looking bad, we don't want to just focus on what he's looking bad, okay, but why, what's starting the tantrum, and sure, a lot of people, if they're, you know, in the midst of some kind of crisis and we offer them something super positive, we can distract them and we can, you know, stop the behavior, but it's not giving us, informing us at all about what situation was happening when that tantrum began. So I would, um, that would be one piece of advice that I would perhaps offer that if in, in having those discussions with the person's team about the student's, rather than focusing on how do we stop the behavior once it started, stepping back a few paces to what was going on and what are the situations that are causing this to begin in the first place. That was my thought. I I love it. And the only other thing I would add is that a treat, it may interrupt the behavior, but it sure as heck doesn't, solve the problem that got the behavior going in the first place. Right. So so I'm not exactly sure what it proves, except that a treat can interrupt the tantrum. Right. Right. I think that's a a big discussion that we've often had as well, that and even kind of a misperception that, you know, that's not 
problem solving or you know if you're giving a treat in the middle of a tantrum that is maybe something you have whatever you're doing to distract or move on but you're missing the crucial part of backing up and having proactive plan b conversations because um you know giving that a I just do encourage the staff to give that a try to see if that makes a difference. Um, and it's really separate from what you do, you know, when it's in the moment because you're, you're going to have the extreme behaviors uh, continue but lessen as more you continue to do more proactive plan B. And I think sometimes that's for us that we realize that we haven't done enough proactive plan B and that we're kind of running in the middle of, you know, kind of trying to – be in crisis mode, and that's not what it's about. So, and you know, and we've done a lot of work too. On there's always been a lot of conversation on, and you know, who can control their behavior? Oh, this this child might he can control it. I can tell because of this. Well, that one can't control it. It's out of his control, and really tried to stay away from those kind of those conversations because again, they they're kind of pointless. They don't really help you to figure out how to how to solve the problem because. If they can control it, not control it, um, whatever it is, it keeps it keeps happening even when you don't um, you know, take try to take away their control by punishment co- consequences and reward. You're still not able to you help them. So I think I think we tend to kind of analyze that maybe just as teachers and um, try to figure out who can have control and who doesn't have control. But um, you know I think that's can, it, it just it doesn't it doesn't help anyone it doesn't help you know and everyone has different opinions about it and it kind of depends on the day so I think trying to stay away from that is it's hard but it is it doesn't really help. My 16 year old daughter has lately been watching family movies back from when she was an infant and toddler. Um, not exactly sure why I said to her, life sure was easier back then, wasn't it? You know, now now she's a 10th grader, she's got homework, she's got friends, she's got, um, you know, different things that are weighing on her, and um, boy, life at uh, 12 months sure does look good in terms of sheer simplicity. But the reading I'm, reason I'm telling this story is because in some of the home movies, um, she is starting to cry and get upset about something. And sometimes we are successful in distracting her or um, helping her laugh, even though she's about to start crying. And um, so, yes, as you both were talking, I was thinking to myself, yeah, well, at 12 months old, um, distracting her out of being upset about something um, did work briefly, but it certainly wasn't a long-term strategy for solving the problems that were getting her upset in the first place. And the other thing I would add is we all want our way. So right. uh, behaviorally challenging kids want their way too, but if a, as do us, as do we all, but if a behaviorally challenging kid has a chair over her, his head, um, and that's the way they're going about doing it, then um, throwing chairs, hitting and screaming would at the very least be called a very maladaptive way to pursue wanting your own way, given that we all want our own way. I don't know if you all have had other thoughts about this before we turn our attention to 
how she's going to help her colleagues come around. But any other thoughts on just the mentality part? Well, I think the other the other thing that I would say to the letter writer is don't beat, your, beat yourself up over questioning yourself because it's such a natural thing when you're changing, you know, from a mindset that you probably learned when you were in teacher education um, or from yourself as a child or a student or, or a parent of, of seeing behavior through that lens of modifiable through reward and punishment. Um, it's very natural to start questioning yourself and slipping back into the old way of thinking because that's where you're the groove is in your mind (laughs) so don't beat yourself up over it just keep bringing yourself back and asking yourself the critical questions like you know going back to what going back to the ALSUP and and I don't know if they have structures in in the program about you know having some kind of a team meeting about students but honestly going back to the ALSUP it's one of the most powerful tools to keep the discussion on track and not get derailed into the old ways of thinking Um, that would be my suggestion Nine, anything well, else? well, I keep thinking too about, um, you know, that the kind of that mindset that the children are acting that way because, um, you know, they're in control and have gotten their way with those behaviors. And then I guess just really kind of reflecting on that and looking at, you know, at the children's history. I mean, to me, when you see that that really wasn't what was there and the children really weren't getting their way um, because do they really want to be you know, separated from friends? Not you know, not having a, a sort of normal um, school experience, I just, it's hard, it's hard for me. So I'm not just, that's the way to explain it, but just to be thinking that way of, do, you know, do children, do these children really want to be in this situation and has it really been working, like that whole working for them? Um, you know, I just, I just, it's hard for me to see that. So maybe trying to open up that discussion a little bit about um, looking at an individual child's situation and, and really Analyzing it might might open their eyes a little bit to how can you know how can this be what they want and how can it be that they've gotten what they've wanted by you know by this control or manipulation. I think it's a very good point that if the structures aren't in place for using the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems to identify lagging skills and unsolved problems then adults are still free to think what they want. And of course, they're free to think what they want anyways, but if there are no structures in place for bringing back people back to, people be, bringing people back to lagging skills, once they sit down and talk about a kid's lagging skills, it becomes crystal clear that lagging skills are very much there and that yeah. the words manipulative and spoiled and oppositional really don't make a great deal of sense anymore. Carol, to your point, um, uh, when I was first developing this model, way long time ago, and I, of course, was behaviorally trained, so I was a reward and punishment guy with the best of them. When I began questioning those beliefs and those practices, I would be in the middle of a meeting, usually with parents, but often with educators as well, and I would just start thinking out loud and start saying, all right, if we're thinking this, then we will do this, and here's what will happen next. If we're thinking he just doesn't want to stop watching TV to come in for dinner, then we will punish him 
if he doesn't come in for dinner and turn off the TV, and we will reward him for coming in. And here's what will happen next. All right, so, and I'm thinking this out loud, and people are, you know, sitting there waiting for the mental health professional to make up his mind about what direction <laughs> we're going in here. Right? But I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking it out loud because I wasn't completely, I wasn't uh, fluent yet in here's the reason we would go in this direction. So I would just think out loud about the two directions that we could go in. But if we go in this direction and we assume he's lacking the skills to make it from turning off the TV to coming in for dinner and we try to find out what's going on and we do this collaboratively, here's what it will look like. And what was really cool is that every time I walked myself through that because I wasn't quite fluent yet in getting myself there all on my own, I would always end up saying, you know, I really don't see the upside of going punitive on the kid and imposing our will and being unilateral. I just think that that's, well, number one, that's what you've been doing, and it keeps getting ugly. So no downside (laughs) Mm -hmm. on moving in this direction. Yeah, yeah. How should she go about getting her colleagues on board? It sounds like she's been trying and is um, still now beginning to question, is this really lagging skills? It sounds like she may be surrounded by people who think differently than she's trying to think. What should she do to feel like she's got some support? And what do you all think? I wonder if there's a way, I'm not sure if there is a way of, her being able to kind of try out the model with one, you know, with one student that maybe again not the most challenging that's in the room, but somebody that seems like could be a little more, you know, a child that seems a little more ready, and um, you know, doing the proactive plan B, and if the colleagues could just support by sort of witnessing and seeing seeing it happen, and um, you know, cre- carving out that time. I just think when people can see children making changes, that's so powerful just extremely powerful. Um, you know, just start that small with one. Let's just start with one child and really sit down and, and practice these skills. And I don't know what the dynamic is in terms of, mm. um, you know, the type of people who are in the team. If it's, you know, a, the teacher and some paraprofessionals or if it's a teacher and a counselor and a behavior specialist or, or what the, you know, what everyone's role is. But I think it might be beneficial to try and, and actually sit down because I'm, I'm sure that those folks that are doing the restraining and the, the dealing with the tantrums, it's not a pleasant experience for anyone, right? And I wonder if uh, something to do is like, let's envision what would, we, what would we like this class to be like? What would we like to see happening? And what are we doing that's either moving us in that direction or preventing us from getting there? because I'm sure that those folks themselves would like to see things differently. You know, just like we say that, you know, kids don't, they're not, they don't enjoy getting in trouble. <laughs> I'm sure these right. adults don't enjoy having to get the kids in trouble all the time and, and having to deal with those explosive behaviors. So, um, you know, starting with what, what is our vision for this program here? What would we, yeah. what would be our, you know, preferred environment that we're working in. I don't know, too, about talking maybe to administration and seeing if um, there's a way, if, if at least 
if there is a school nearby or somewhere where the model has been successful, sometimes going as a team and having a day just to some professional development and visiting yeah. somewhere else and having time to really have open conversations as a team about what their concerns are and um, you know having those really open reflective conversations seem to I think make a big difference and again know that there's everyone kind of is, has nervous or apprehensions and um, kind of make a plan together but talking to the administration giving that a day to just really focus on that or or time or or some or any anything kind of thinking outside the box of how to have some professional development together. Well, I think to demonstrate, if if they have administrative support, to demonstrate that it's a priority and it's not just one lone person with some kooky idea, that right. this model is being successful in a, in a number of very challenging environments. And, Absolutely. You know, actually seeing for themselves and speaking to people, I think that's a brilliant idea, Nina. Yeah. Not just one lone kook. <laughs> We're all kooks <laughs> together. Exactly. Well, that's the interesting thing, Carol. You said that we don't understand the context in which this is going on. If this um, teacher does not have a supportive administrator, if she truly is surrounded by people who are not of like mind, this, of course, would be much harder, and she might feel like the Lone Ranger for a while until um, she starts showing what doing things differently could look like. And, of course, if these people are all on a team, then she may not even have that opportunity because, as we well know, um, different if other people are doing Plan A while one person, the Lone Ranger, is doing Plan B, um, that she may not see the fruits of her Plan B labors because the Plan A folks are, you know, blowing the kid away. Um, So context is important there, too. Mm -hmm. I think I've got an easy one for you here. This one is um, from Sweden. Ready? Mm -hmm. Sure. This gentleman has been been waiting a while for the answer to his question. I think I actually probably responded to it already because (laughs) um, I think it's an easy one. Let's see if you both agree. Here we go. Hello, I have a short question. Would you recommend that the principal of a school be in the CPS core group from the beginning? Pros and cons of having the principal in the core group or not? Any help greatly appreciated. What do you all think? Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> that was an easy one. Come on. That was, we can do that. That was good. I was getting nervous. Up with that one. <laughs> Sorry, pros, you know they can't pros, all be they can't all be tough. But no, the pros but, are the person in you know the administrator can help to organize resources and time and communicate with families and you know f- connect with other people that are on board. Like that's just there's so many pros. Cons are um, it can take some time and depending on the context of your school, sometimes that can be hard to come by. But um, the pros way outweigh the cons. Definitely, and I think like almost what we had talked to, we were talking about earlier is that you also, as the principal, need to make sure that you're listening to the core group, even when they have concerns or worries about the model, to to um, kind of that overzealousness to make sure you're also listening too, so they're not so it's really truly absorbed as well, and they're not just doing it because you know that the principal is so passionate. So kind of that balance as well. 
Um, I, um, well, let me tell you a quick story. Are you ready? Yep. Yes. Well, that, that was an easy one. Now a slightly more <laughs> difficult one. I'm in a school recently, a school that is trying to implement both CPS and RTI. And, of course, RTI and PBIS have tiers. And I was asked what tier solving problems collaboratively. <laughs> Who's that laughing? <laughs> That's Carol. I'm laughing. Okay. Because <laughs> this, this is still I, an easy one. What's that? <laughs> this is still an what's easy that? one. This is an easy one? Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, didn't turn out that way, but um, what tier, one, two, or three, would they do CPS in? Now, let me just take it a little bit further. We'll, we can go back to that one. But I asked, because I never take it at face value what somebody means by RTI or PBIS, because so many places put their own spin on it. So I said, what, what do you mean by Tier 1? And they said, Tier 1 is where the teachers get together, discuss the kid, and then decide what the interventions are going to be. Now, I'll, okay. before the okay. end of the program, I'll tell you what I said. Okay. But what do you all say to that? Well, we're, we're, I mean, Nina and I are both in very different contexts because we use the language RTI in Canada, but we don't have it in law the way that it is in the States. So, um, you know, we probably yeah. both have very different understandings and, and you know, frameworks in our minds of what RTI is. My, my first thought is that their description of, of what they consider level one is, to me, would be a, a targeted intervention. That's a level two intervention where you're doing something different for that student that you're consulting with other teachers upon. That's more of a targeted intervention rather than a universal intervention. Right. What we think of it similar to that. Yep, our tier one is, is what every child gets. Um, yeah. So that's just a different thinking for us. So it's interesting because we've really talked a lot about RTI and, and CPS as well. And really CPS is all the tiers, but, you know, because it's what it's what we do. But it just we, we've kind of matched it to the flow chart, the plan B flow chart, so that if uh-huh. the first, at, you know, in the first tier, if, if, the solution wasn't working, then you know it, you can it just matches perfectly because you go back and do oh, another like Plan B conversation. So it really kind of is. You can think of it as going up the continuum, as well for needing more proactive conversations, or do you need to involve the parents in the conversation? We, you know, whatever more and more that you might need. So I see it as all the tiers, but that you kind of the frequency might be, or if the ch- plans need to change, it can go right on right alongside. Does that make sense? I'm not sure if I'm explaining it correctly. Well, no, Ed, actually, I, I, I love said? what you were saying. Yes. Yes. Well, here's, here's one of the things I said. I um, think that um, you would be solving problems collaboratively at all three tiers, 
And therefore, for me, the tears lose their meaning a little bit. Right. And I sometimes wonder, I'm sure that people would not agree with me saying this, but I, there are people who wouldn't, but I sometimes wonder if the tears have more meaning for academics than they do for behavior. But that's just food for thought. But, but here was my main point. And I'd be curious to hear what you both think about this, because this um, was not universally accepted as wisdom. <laughs> so I always, if, if, if something's not universally accepted as wisdom, then you've got to go back and think about how wise it is. But um, <laughs> what I said was, I probably wouldn't be very enthusiastic about any process in which problems are being solved without the input from an involvement of the kid. Right. Absolutely. Because I could probably spend the next seven days regaling with stories of adults thinking they knew what was getting in the kid's way and coming up with interventions based on their preconceived notions about what was getting in the kid's way and having those interventions bomb for two reasons. Number one, what they thought was getting in the kid's way was not what was getting in the kid's way, and therefore the solution that was going to address what wasn't getting in the kid's way would never address what really was getting in the kid's way, which we knew nothing about because we didn't involve the kid. <laughs> right. What no, do I, I think, think that's... of my answer? I think your answer is exactly right because it goes, you know, it's uh, getting away from kind of the old SAT model that we were doing where spending all the time trying to make plans and action plans without involving the child. So I I think that's, that's what we're trying to steer away from is making plans without collaborating with, with the one who he needs to be there is the child. Not only that... And the best conceived solution in the world, I always say, even if it would even if we were right about what was getting in the kid's way, the best conceived solution in the world still doesn't fly if it doesn't work for the person who is its intended beneficiary. Right. Oh. Well, that's what I said. <laughs> The reason that I was laughing as you were describing or asking what tier it fit on is because the answer is easy, and exactly as Nina says, it fits all three tiers. It depends on the who is doing the conversation, the frequency of the conversations, the number of unsolved problems that are being uh, addressed through the conversations. And, and I love Nina's use of the, of the flow chart as kind of moving up the tiers. Um, brilliant right there. <laughs> Again, twice brilliant, Nina. Well, we have lost Nina, so Nina did oh, not hear your compliment. She didn't hear me call her brilliant again, darn it. Um, well, if she calls back in, and we only have about five minutes left, but if she calls back yeah. in, we will immediately let her know that you thought that what she said was brilliant. <laughs> Great. 
Well, that's why I love uh, being part of this conversation every month is that I get new ideas and I get recharged and I get, uh, you know, revitalized to be continuing the work and taking it step farther. It's great. Well, and I don't know if you know this or not, but um, somebody who you know well is going to be joining us on the educators panel beginning in January. Well, we, we pretty much have our own educators panel just about every morning, <laughs> my friend and I. So I've heard, so but now your, now your conversations with each other will be privy to the rest of us, okay. um, and that will put less pressure on Tom to um, be on the program, which um, he sometimes has scheduling conflicts. So yeah. somebody who you know well from your neck of the woods is going to be joining us on the educators panel beginning in January. And once again, this is the only time of the month we do this program. It used to be every Monday, and we've cut it back to just once um, a month. So it's always you all from now on. You you all are the program. So that's pretty cool, cool, eh? (laughs) And you know what? I think I I had some things from good news, bad news that I was going to – throw at you, but we don't have enough time to do, and we only have about three minutes left. So I'm thinking, unless you have something else you want to bring up, we can call it a day if you want to for today's, for this month's uh, Helping Behaviorally Challenging Students. What do you think? Uh, I'm pretty good. Thank you so much for, for an always uh, entertaining, informative, and stimulating conversation. Thank you for being a part of it. Have a great holiday. Same to all of our listeners, and we'll be back in January. Sound good? Thank you. Absolutely. Take care. Till next time. And that, you bet, that's going to do it for us here on Helping Behaviorally Challenging Students. I hope you found today's program to be informative. That's the goal. Have a great holiday. See you next year.